0: Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Off-Kilter podcast. This is episode 55 and it is the sixth episode in my Essential Skills for Training series. My guest today is one of Scotland's top female swimmers. She's been in the water for multiple decades. She specializes in the 400 individual medley. Hannah Miley is a triple Olympian, double Commonwealth champion, and world champion. She has a degree in sport and exercise science, is a fitter woman ambassador, and is a fur mum to two-year-old Poppy. In this conversation today, we chat about how Hannah became one of Scotland's top female swimmers. It's actually a really cool story uh, about her dad which I loved hearing about. We chat about her training practice and how she recovers in and out of the pool. We talk about the difference between resiliency and hard work, both in and out of the pool. And I really enjoy this conversation and listening to her speak about our resiliency, focus, effort, and hard work. We also talk about what she has learnt through her swimming career, about herself uh, and what she went through when the 2020 Olympic Games got cancelled. We talk about women in sports, in particular swimming, and how her curiosity about the hard stuff is really going to help young females in this sport uh, thrive around uh their relationship to themselves to their body uh to training we also talk about how she learned about her cycle (laughs) just recently which is how we really connected after i did my podcast with esther goldsmith from fitter woman uh we were talking about henna uh and how Hannah became an ambassador for fitter woman, and then in this conversation today, Hannah chats about how she never uh, really knew about her cycle and her this new discovery uh, around training with her cycle and working with fitter woman and we talk about having tough conversations. I describe her as being curious about the hard stuff and I believe she will help change the sport for young female athletes because of this. I, this was the first time that we had seen each other and spoken other than on Instagram and through email. I really enjoyed this conversation. I was so grateful Hannah made the space uh, to do the podcast. She did it one night after training at like 7.15 p.m., She'd been in the pool for a couple of hours and we sat down and, yeah, we had this amazing conversation about her career, about the sport, about women in sport, and I really hope that you enjoy it. You can connect with Hannah on Instagram. Her Instagram tag is at smiley8889, and she does. She smiles. Uh, it... Um, is yeah, she was warm and inviting, and such an inspiring person to speak with, especially uh, in this, this series that I'm doing. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Hannah Miley. You are listening to the Off-Kilter Podcast, and this is the sixth episode of My Essential Skills for Training. This is the Off-Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Bo Thank you so much for uh, creating the space to connect oh. and come on.
1: No worries. Thank you very much for getting in touch, actually. Um, it was really cool. And yeah, I just kind of, I find it really interesting because even all the stuff with like the, the Fitter Women group, um, I've I found it so interesting and the fact that the age of 30 I realized how very little I knew about my cycle and how it impacts on my sport so it's been kind of a fun time learning a little bit more about myself trying to show the other swimmers especially in my squad to kind of learn a little bit more about it but just trying to get a bit of a grasp of it because I feel I'm obviously towards the end of my career in swimming but there's so much more that I could kind of use and utilize and yeah it's just just gives me another kind of focus which is cool
0: yeah it is really cool um and i that's what i would love to speak to you about today my guest today is a scottish swimmer specializing in the 400 individual medley she is a triple olympian double commonwealth champion and world champion there's a lot of um there's a lot of champions in that sentence she has a degree in sport and exercise science is a fitter woman ambassador and is a fur mum to, I believe she is a two-year-old uh, and her name is Poppy. Hannah, yep. welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you uh, made space to come on and it's part of my essential skills for training podcast series. And the intention behind the series was really to connect with females who are athletes or very advanced in their sport or their practice to talk about how they train. Uh, I'm really interested in this concept of having a training practice. So not just talking about like the physical uh, prong of training or your sport or your practice, but what makes it – what makes it I guess I talk a lot about an umbrella and and the way that I talk about training is kind of like an umbrella there's so many prongs and so today I really wanted to talk to you about your training umbrella
1: (laughs) yeah no more than happy to uh to help with that and I, I totally agree training is more than for me looking at a black line in a swimming pool and just you know plowing the meters in uh and doing the laps there's so much more to it you've got nutritional side of it, uh, the sleep um, recovery, whether that's compression or stretching or activation work. There's the psychology side as well. Um, And even some of the work in the pool, there's the technical side too. So there are so many components and the people that I work with Um, that just, yeah, an umbrella, or we sometimes call it like a bowl of soup. It's just all the ingredients that you put together that basically make you the athlete uh, and kind of take you on the journey of where you want to be in elite sport.
0: Yeah, I also like that, a bowl of soup.
1: (laughs) Like a it's minestrone,
0: yeah, because minestrone has <laughs> yeah. many many ingredients in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very much so. In Scotland, we'd have like a, a hearty bowl of broth soup, uh, and especially coming into winter right now, it is freezing. So yeah, the the warm yeah. hearty soup goes down well. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so I guess there's a lot of ingredients involved, yep. uh, and. I'd like to start with a little bit of your story. We don't have to go through. I know you've been swimming for is it over a decade now? Yeah, it's
1: been yeah. quite a while i'm thirty one and I've yeah. pretty much been swimming for a wee while now, so yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah so I know that um, you know to talk through like your whole swimming career, We're we could just do a, hour a, hour. a full yeah podcast on that. Um, but I do like to start with a little bit of your story uh, yeah. and you know it doesn't have to be like all the way back <laughs> it can just be you know how like how did you get into connection with the pool and then from there we'll move into looking at like your training practice today
1: yeah so um I, I probably do have to go back a little bit so yeah. you guys get I guess a proper understanding so my dad is my coach and he's pretty much been my inspiration for getting in the pool um so he he worked with a lot of swimmers. Swimming for him was his hobby, his um, his just love for the sport. He absolutely adores swimming. And he developed a device called an aquapacer, I think back in 1996. Um, and it was something like one in three Olympic gold medalists at the Sydney Olympic Games used his device. So he's a very smart guy, and kind of sometimes referred to as the mad professor, <laughs> because he thinks outside the box. So when I was born, um, he always had a fascination with water and um, he wanted myself and my younger brothers to be safe when we're in water so he taught us how to swim uh, when I was very young and put me in the pool and all the amazing stuff that babies do when they're in the water they just take to it really easily so for him he was just really fascinated freaked my mom out I think (laughs) quite a fair bit but he worked with me a little bit more on it and Um, I think he taught me backstroke was my first stroke when I was like three or four, Uh, joined my swimming club when I was maybe like five or six. And swimming was just kind of one of those hobbies that I always did. I had other activities as well. And yeah, for me, I'd never really known it any other way with my dad being my coach, he would take me extra sessions in the pool, doing lots of technique work. When he was going through the work with the aquapacer, I guess I was kind of the little guinea pig. He would uh, program it in and then send me off and swim with this little thing beeping in my head and um and yeah and as I started getting older and started growing a little bit more I just found I was just better suited in the water and I loved I had I had quite a bit of a competitive edge so when I would do uh, extra sessions with my dad like lane swimming um I had to do more lengths than him it didn't matter whether it was specifically for technique he had an, an agenda but for me I was thinking right I need to do more lengths than you. And for me, I just had that competitive drive from such a young age. Um, and then that spilled over when I was in uh, primary school. So between the age of, I guess, eight and 10, um, our school would do swimming as part of our, um, physical education classes. And I just loved the fact that I could beat the boys and (laughs) I got kind of a big kick out of being, you know, just as fast as some of the lads in our group. Um, and yeah, and I, I just felt more at home in the water. I've got incredibly hypermobile joints. My elbows are quite bendy. My ankles are really floppy. I can trip over on a flat floor. So I kind of realized it's safer for me to be in the water than it is to be on land. And, and yeah, and I just kind of, I just started to fall in love with the sport a little bit more. Probably not as the sort of same intensity as my dad, But I started to understand his thinking a little bit more and started understanding my body, how I could really push myself in training. And there were some bits that were crazy. And I guess the partnership of father, daughter, coach, athlete was quite intense and I guess quite different. But I had a huge amount of respect for him. And I guess he had to put a lot of trust in me because he wasn't paid. He was a volunteer coach. His full time job was a helicopter pilot. So he wasn't always there. So some of the training sessions I'd have to do on my own, and he would write the session out, leave it for me, and then trust that I would go in and do it. And, you know, I could have easily have just not bothered to turn up to the swim session and be like, yeah, yeah, I've done it. But there was always a little part of me that knew, if I didn't do the session, my rivals have got one up on me. So I had quite a very sort of intense mindset when it came to things. I always made sure that I did what I was told and gave a little bit more. And I I guess I kind of just naturally felt like that. That's kind of what I needed to do. Um, And then as I started progressing and getting faster, uh, being able to go on teams and traveling the world was pretty awesome. And to have my dad there with me was something really, really special because it felt like I wasn't doing this competition for myself and I guess for personal gain. I was able to give back to my dad for all the hard work that he put in from such a young age and the journey that we've been on together has been pretty awesome. So making like the first Olympic team, him being there as a coach as well is probably one of my proudest moments. Um, Same with the Commonwealth games. So, so yeah, it's kind of been a joint effort and not just that my mom as well. She, I don't quite know how she, (laughs) she cut with the madness that was the swimming in our sort of life, but she, she was my rock. She taught me how to, you know, she is my idol for being the ideal woman. She, you know, can cook, she cleans. So she taught me a lot of basic stuff that I guess now I really appreciate living with my fiance. Um, You know, I know how to work a dishwasher. I know how to fend for myself food wise. Um, And I owe a lot to my mom teaching me that from quite a young age. And also my two younger brothers as well. They were great training partners. They love swimming as well. Um, And there was always a competition to see which Miley could be the fastest medley swimmer. At the moment, it's my middle brother, Alistair. He still holds the record for being the fastest Miley swimmer. So (laughs) I need to try and sort that out at some point. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so it's it's kind of been a family affair. And I've just embraced taking on you know targeting the next competition and then pushing my goals higher and higher and it's just been nice being able to reach them and I guess at the age that I'm at just now 30 there's kind of you know there's lots of changes and lots of differences and uh, you know with all that's going on in the world just now with the pandemic it's certainly opened my eyes quite a fair bit and it's given me a chance to look actually look back and see what I've done and I feel like oh you know, three decades have gone past <laughs> and there's, there's been quite a fair bit of traveling. So, so yeah, so my my journey's kind of been interesting. And as you say, we could kind of talk for hours about it, but it, it's, it started off with my dad teaching me how to swim in a little pool.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And there's so much in there that I want to like unpack a little bit. Um, the first place, I guess, uh, that I'd love to start is um, and you just mentioned it before, like the the new rhythm of the world has like allowed you to create space to kind of look back and think about like the journey. (laughs) Um, Also that there was no Olympics this year. So this was going to be potentially your fourth. Yeah. 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 So I, I really, and I've been thinking about this a little bit and I had a conversation the other day, uh, with, uh, a girl that I know she was, uh, a competitive shot putter for a really long time and she's finished her career. It was for, you know, 10, 15 years and she's in this space now. She's really struggling with like her identity and her worth and, and what to do now, um, And I'd love if you could talk a little bit about, I don't know if you've reflected on this because swimming has been such a big part of your life for, for so long that when like this new rhythm of the world came up, what came up around that, around, uh, you know, maybe not like, what were you training for? If there was no Olympics, like, you know, like you said before, we started recording you're, you're at the tail end of your career, maybe competitive swimming career. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is, what are some stuff that's come up? Cause I know that emotionally and mentally that, that can be a little bit of a roller coaster.
1: Yeah, it has been. <laughs> um, yeah. So my last competition was in March and then I think two or three weeks later, that was it. We were in lockdown and as a swimmer, it's just so frustrating because It's such an unforgiving sport. That's why we're in the water as often as we are. You know, there's no other way you can really replicate your sport with being in a pool other than just lying in a bath. But even then, that doesn't really match the same level. Um, With runners, you know, you can still kind of run outside. You've got cyclists. You can, you know, still be outside. So other sports can kind of manage it. Whereas with swimming, you've got open water, but even still, you have to be careful, the safety risks and um, other little bits around it. And it's very, very difficult to replicate it. So I kind of ended up in this like fog where I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was frustrated because I felt all that work, the three years of work leading up to it, because for the Olympics, you don't just train for that one year. It's a three, you know, four year cycle. You've got three years of work behind you. And every day that went past, it just felt like all that work was just slipping away. So there were days where I was quite rational and having Poppy was amazing because she forced me into a routine and you know, she, she wanted fed in the morning, she needed out for toilet, she wanted a walk. So she kept me going and my partner as well, you and you know, both of us I think benefited from having her around. Um, but there were days where you do just feel a little bit lost. And so I threw myself into, and I thought if I'm feeling lost, you know, what about the younger swimmers, the sort of generation of swimmers that are coming through. So I try to find a way to help them and in the sense that kind of helped me so I try to create online like live workouts so my squad or my team we would meet up every morning to do a workout and I would record some of it and then put it up for other swimmers to follow or I'd try and do a live workout so they could work out with me at the same time and, and, it, and it just kind of showed me how a how crazy the pandemic has been but also how amazing it's been for connecting people and the ability to like for us, you know reaching across the world and being able to speak um, and using a laptop and you know it, it really kind of opened up a lot of opportunities, and I kind of felt better in myself by helping others um, and just trying to kind of help them feel not so lost, Uh, and possibly I kind of worked to the point where I worked on helping others that I didn't end up helping myself. So keeping myself busy doing some form of land work was really good. I kind of researched a little bit more on areas that I possibly needed work on, like some flexibility around my hip and my shoulders, Um, and I really quite enjoyed it and it just gave me something a little bit different. I had time to kind of finish uh, doing some coursework for like a a Pilates diploma. Um, so I kind of kept myself busy. I, I wasn't, I'm not very good at sitting still. So I kind of realized that everyone's in the same boat. There's no right or wrong way of doing something. Some people taking a complete break from exercise, most, most people might think, Oh, you need to keep up your fitness, but some people might need that mental break and that physical break as well. And um, so that might work for them. Whereas for me, I wanted to keep going with some form of fitness because that kept my mind taken over and refreshed. I didn't know if it was the right thing. And I eventually learned to stop being scared of that. I kind of realized, oh, you know what? I'd rather do something than not at all. Cause I know for me doing nothing wasn't the right decision for me. So doing something felt good. And I eventually started enjoying um, having a little bit more control over that and realizing, okay, there isn't that end goal. Why am I staying fit? And for me, it was my mental health. I wanted to stay fit to try and keep my head happy. Um, Taking Poppy out for a walk was really quite nice as well. Um, And just kind of trying to settle into a routine. I think that was my kind of main, main point. And then when open water swimming became a bit more available, I kind of tried it realize I'm definitely a a softy pool swimmer, I prefer warmer waters, but it was a great experience and kind of felt happy at being able to put myself out there a little bit, Um, but I do prefer following a black line and not panicking, thinking is the Loch Ness Monster swimming underneath me or a little fish nibbling at my feet, but it was great being in water all the same when we got that opportunity, so it it kind of taught me to be resilient, uh, because I guess A lot of people think elite athletes, resiliency always gets thrown in the mix. You're always told, oh, you must be resilient. But I actually realized I had no idea what that word actually meant. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was faced with the pandemic that I realized that resiliency is only shown when you're presented with an opportunity to use it. So my resiliency was tested probably more in the pandemic than it ever was in a swimming career. And I feel if I can do this, then, Can sail through an olympic games or working towards that that's gonna be a piece of cake compared to what we went through the last six months um so yeah it definitely gave me a time to kind of look back uh, again with the mental sort of health side just being a bit kinder to myself and not being as hard because sometimes we're quite self-critical and especially when we weren't able to get as much training in i kept i kept feeling like i need to be doing this i should be so much better this that and the other and every now and then I just had to stop and take a little breather and realize actually what I had achieved and stop valuing my self-worth based on the medals and the accolades and actually realize that, you know, I've been able to challenge my body. I've rose to so many occasions. There's been lots of little blips and, you know, I've not let that uh, hamper me. Um, And I guess as well, uh, coming to terms with Rio in 2016, because that was really, really hard. Uh, Missing a medal by 15 hundredths of a second, you know it's taken me a long time to get my head around it and I kind of feel now that I can finally a talk about it without getting too emotional but b truly understand the meaning of my self-worth as an athlete is more than just a piece of metal um my self-worth is standing up at a, you know a high pressured event and performing it's standing back up and then maybe not achieving what you hope to achieve but still getting back in that water and continuing on because you love the sport more than you love winning and getting medals. So it was quite cathartic for me to kind of just realize a couple of things. So I had a bit of an an epiphany moment, I guess, and I'm still learning. And I love the fact that at the age of 31, I still, I get surprised and get excited when I find something new and being approached by fitter women as well. And learning a little bit more about my menstrual cycle shocked me at how much I actually didn't know. So that in itself gave me something exciting to actually just try, um, try something different. And every season, I have a little quote uh, that I normally live by, which is, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. So dare to do something a bit different. And for me, I kind of feel like, you know what, this is the perfect time to try something a bit different. So. (laughs) And do
0: you have that quote, like every season, like every swimming season, you'll try and find something to do a little bit different?
1: Yeah. And I used to use some form of physical activity. So one season I added in boxing as part of like cross training. Another season I added in rock climbing. Uh, Another season I decided to work on like my backstroke or there was always one thing that the previous season that I hadn't worked on that I thought, right, I need to try and step it up and just do something a bit different. Something that I know no other person would be doing. Um, and I guess I've always enjoyed kind of just being that little bit different, uh, and kind of stepping, standing out from the crowd a little bit more. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I, lo- I love when you speak about, uh, this, this journey to understand or to know that, you know, your self worth is not based on you know, your sport, like the, the result or the number. And I had this very similar experience when I competed in Olympic weightlifting. I, you know, my why shifted throughout the years and it became about the weight on the bar and the number and how well I lifted and how it looked. And uh, yeah, my attachment to it became very negative. And yeah. I work with a lot of women, not, a, you know, not elite or advanced in their practice or their sport, but they're very attached to the outcome, to the result, uh, you know, to a, a weight or a shape or a size or a number. And um, yeah, I like when you speak about that, That, and that's what I'm super curious about is if you're, you know, for so long you've been, you know, an athlete in a sport and that's how you're identified, that's your whole life. Like we'll get into talking about your day, but your day is like so much about swimming and, uh, you know, working towards something uh, and yeah, I, I like how you bring that up. And I, I think that it's a really hard, hard, but very important journey to go through to realize that, you know what, no, I'm actually Hannah, (laughs) you know, I like, and I like all of these things and I like doing other things outside of swimming. And of course it's great to have goals and, you know, to, to push yourself harder and be competitive and to be able to stand on that podium. But, I think to really understand the why behind it and it can't be just about you know the result
1: very much so i i totally agree with you there and even when you get labeled like you're an olympian it's almost like your class is a superhero and you kind of feel that you have to have that persona that you have, you're you're automatically good at everything. Um, When I was doing that phase where I was going through rock climbing, there was like a part of the wall that I was really struggling with at the beginning and I couldn't do it. And the guy holding my rope was just like, oh, come on, you're an Olympian. You should be able to get up there. And I'm like, I'm not a superhuman, like, I struggle, there's things that I fail at, there's things that I'm not good at, there's things that I get wrong, like I am human. Just because I've been to the Olympics doesn't automatically mean I'm this kind of golden child sort of thing. Um, So yeah, so it's certainly, and and as well, going through that phase and that process, no one tells you like, this is what you go through, this is how you should go through it. You kind of have to figure it out for yourself and that can be quite hard. Um, And I think it's important to, be able to speak to people about it and allow you to kind of come to that resolution where you feel happy of, I know who I am. I mean, I'm still figuring it out, but I feel happy enough knowing that, um, I'm enjoying figuring it out. Oh, sorry. My computer kind of went a little bit blank there. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. The computer just went white and I was like, oh no, (laughs) what have I lost there? Um, so yeah, so it just, I think it's really important to realize that and everyone goes through at different phases and different stages like the fact that I'm going through this now at 30 I kind of panic thinking I should know this before I was like maybe 20 21 but there's no right or wrong way of going through it um but especially a lot of the young swimmers coming through I'm very aware of the pressure that they put themselves under before they're even on the block they have this expectation and if they don't meet that expectation you can just see the love for their sport just goes and goes and goes and i you know i i want people to be in the water because they love being in it and enjoy the competitive side but still come out the other side knowing that they are still worth something they're not just the swimmer um and i guess i'm kind of i'm able to talk about it now because i so semi figured it out myself um but yeah definitely it's it's more than just the numbers The, the black and white stuff is all well and good for the analysis but for the long-term part, you know, we, we can't stay athletes forever. Um, uh, and it's important for us to know who we truly are.
0: Yeah. And something that uh, I'm sure it's spoken about a lot more, but, you know, 10, 15 years ago, not just the same as we'll talk about periods and training and the cycle, but that is not spoken about. You know, you have the the athletes that maybe have been, you know, in their sport or from a very young age and then they get towards the tail end of their career and the work hasn't been done to make sure that, you know, that they are building up that resiliency, like you spoke about before, you know, to, to be an athlete and to be great is it's hard work, (laughs) you know, it's waking up at five 30. It's like having a good program, a good coach. It's, you know, practicing over and over and over again. And yes, some people might that might call that resiliency, but I think it's just, you know, hard work, determination, focus. There's so many other, I guess, soft skills and words we can use, but there's no one there to teach you that resiliency to for the fight afterwards of like what yeah. it looks like, you know, maybe if you have an injury, like I've had a couple of injuries that I dealt with terribly initially because I couldn't do my sport and I... I lost trust with my body, and you know I was so attached to to the physical expression of it and the sport that I was in a very dark hole numerous yeah. times because that 's not something that 's really spoken about and taught, and I think that 's really important, yeah. the same as you know one day the career will, will end uh, not that doesn't say you know you won't be a part of the sport and you can't still swim, but you know that that competitiveness you had for so long where the, where is the I guess the the team around you to make sure that like you're okay at the other
1: end <laughs> yeah and I think there is as well maybe a fear of being vulnerable as well especially when it comes to the injury side because we don't want to admit that we're not this superhuman person that we're broken a little bit or our bodies aren't functioning the way that we want them to function and I have felt that a few times and there's you know there's little niggles and I hate telling people that I feel something's not working or uh, I've got an injury or I've got something that I'm gonna have to adapt a training session because I can't manage it and I always hate it because a I don't want them to know I've got this weakness uh and and I was always afraid of showing that sort of vulnerability side because for me it didn't fit the persona of being that elite athlete um and that does harm you later on in life because then you hide things more often and try and plough through without actually realizing that you knew you do need to be kind to yourself not just mentally but physically as well
0: yeah and that also brings in this conversation around the cycle yes and periods which yeah. is not spoken about uh it's more so now in the last 5 years it's really yeah. you know birthed this this lovely presence in the sporting world but uh, yeah that's not something, like through your career, was it ever really spoken about?
1: No, I had quite a, I wouldn't say traumatic time with it, but it wasn't pleasant. So my teenage years, I really struggled with it. Um, So whenever I was on my period and competing, I would have the worst cramps in the world. As soon as I finished my race, I could time it three minutes after my race. If I wasn't hiding in a bathroom, I was literally just curled up in the fetal position, unable to, like, unclench and move. Like, it was someone stabbing, kicking, pulling at my guts. Like, it was just horrific, and I hated it every single time, and um, and I just couldn't understand what it was, and no one would really, and, and I was kind of, I didn't know who to talk to or who to ask. Um... And and it was really irregular as well. Um, My period would last for up to like fourteen days, which I didn't realise is actually not a good sign. And it was really really heavy. And you know I always tried to be the last person out the pool because I knew as soon as I went out I'm going to have to run to the toilet to kind of change my sort of sanitary products. And yeah, it just wasn't pleasant. And then I was told to go on the birth control, and it meant that I could control when I had my periods and took me a couple of years to kind of find a pill that sort of settled with my body there was one where yeah it seemed all right but whenever I went on an airplane the next day I would always have a bleed through which for me kind of felt (laughs) defeated the whole point so I eventually got on to I think it was Yasmin and I uh, and I'd been on Yasmin for (laughs) about 12 years and I didn't realize I was supposed to have a break after every five years but nobody told me that And i was just told by the doctor here you go control your cycle and then i would always get like a six month pack like load of them so then i could you know not have to worry about constantly going to see the doctor and then when i needed like a repeat of that i would go in they check my blood pressure check my weight yep here's a prescription off you go so i was never really kind of i i just always assumed that when i was off my packet that was me having my period. I didn't realize that that actually wasn't me having my period. So I had no period for about 12 years, and I felt I had symptoms, and obviously with this sort of, um, sort of man-made hormones that I was putting into my body, there was some changes, and I noted little things, but my understanding of it was pretty basic and wrong. <laughs> I wasn't aware of actually how, wrong I was in my thinking and it wasn't until um I kind of got told by fitter women and got given a presentation about it, my jaw just hit the floor and I realized that, wow. Okay. So I was able to perform and compete whilst I was on the packet, which was on the pill, which was great. But I kind of feel, okay, long term wise, I think I need to I want to learn how to manage it better. So now that I've been off the pill for like the last Five months now, I feel that my body settled into a nice cycle, learning a lot more about like the nutrition side, understanding more about the sleep. I am starting to see little things and understanding and trying to learn more about my body because I thought I knew my body, but I really didn't <laughs> um, and I find it quite fascinating by little things and it gives me a bit of a better understanding as well being like, okay well that that explains why I feel like this, so how can I do something to help it instead of it just being like. I just give up the session I feel rubbish or I feel really tired today so so yeah so I kind of took for granted uh, the understanding of my cycle and I I didn't realize that I was probably maybe doing myself harm by being on the pill for so long but as I said nobody explained to me that I was supposed to have a break and I really wish that Uh, just in sport in general that we had you know seminars or something to just explain it to explain okay if you're going to go on the pill then that's great but to maintain your sort of normal health we recommend you taking a break or we recommend this or just just giving a little bit more information I think would have been helpful but I'm kind of glad, you know, better late than never <laughs> I've got the information now. So I'm trying my best to sort of educate um, a lot of the younger swimmers, especially uh, in Scotland and in Britain as mes- as best I can to, um, to kind of just feel comfortable and be okay with it and kind of explain my story as well and be quite open and honest as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the, the key thing is to, you know, to tell your story. Yeah. Story is the most powerful Uh And just to, yeah, to share, share the story, share the journey about it. But it is, like you said, it's not spoken about, Uh, you know, 10 years ago, it was uncomfortable. We didn't know what to say, uh, especially, you know, if you have a male coach, they don't you know, they don't understand. We weren't even taught about it, not really in school. And so it was just this topic that, you know, wasn't the difference between male and female physiology. That is the cycle. (laughs) That's the the big thing. And, you know, it wasn't spoken about, but, um, it's, uh, when did you first connect with fitter woman and start learning about it?
1: Um, it was, it was during lockdown. Um, and yeah I think I just kind of got in touch just to try and find out a little bit more because I found it quite fascinating and I felt I I do clinics and I do talks and it was something that I felt I wanted to be part of so uh, in Scottish swimming we have uh, what's called Project Elsa where we work to try and help try and help the girls in swimming Uh, a try and stay in the sport we do tend to have we've got the highest number out of the boys and girls we we have more girl members and male members, but we have the highest dropout rate for the girls and it 's always that kind of between the age of fourteen and seventeen that they tend to drop out and sometimes the reason for that was their menstrual cycle they really struggled to manage it and felt it was more of a hindrance in their training and they 'd feel embarrassed and they they just get frustrated, so they just felt stopping the sport was the easiest way, so we kind of got a, a group of um, Sort of it wasn't all females we had uh alan lynn who was uh basically heading and kind of leading this sort of main project but he wanted the input of some female athletes so myself and a couple of other girls were involved in the call um a couple of female doctors one who was doing a phd in i think the menstrual cycle and how it affects performance and one of the coaches as well uh, a female coach said I think you need to get in touch with uh, Georgie and uh, from Fitter Women and I think it'd be really good to make that connection. So she emailed Georgie and kind of said, oh, we've got this swimmer Hannah and I think she'd be really good uh, to kind of just chat to her. So I I had a Zoom call with Georgie. She ran through the presentation, picked my jaw up off the floor (laughs) and basically kind of said how interested I was and saying that it's something that I really wanted to do and kind of add, I guess, to the the talks that I want to present because I want to I always kind of felt again my side of wanting to be a little bit different I want to be able to talk about things more than just my story and being resilient and goal setting and I kind of feel periods and Performance is a great chance because especially in Scotland I don't really think we've got like a, a female lead in swimming anyway to do that So I kind of felt I could possibly fill that role um so yeah so just kind of got in touch with them that way and just built the connection and georgie georgie kind of offered to help uh manage my cycle explain fit of women app and um and yeah it just kind of went from there
0: yeah so now you're you use their app you
1: track your cycle yeah, yeah you've yeah <laughs> yeah yeah That's so and cool yeah it is. It's really cool. And actually, and I, <laughs> I get so excited by like the little things. So even within like the first like couple of weeks, uh, I think I had like two periods and I realized I can see a pattern. Ah, I, I actually can, I can now predict when I'm going to be on my next period. Like and that just made me so excited. It was so bizarre. And you know, like at the minute, um, the sort of phase I'm in, I'm kind of even picking up little signs being like, oh, I just feel really tired. And oh yeah, that can kind of confirm it. I'm in this phase. And it, yeah, I I just find it so useful and uh, interesting, and um, and just being able to kind of speak to clubs and speaking to just as many girls as I can, and and even to some of the coaches as well. I've offered to some coaches who want to understand it, and. You know, even speaking to my dad, you know, he's asked for me to run the presentation with him because he wants to understand and better manage the the girls in his squad um, to make sure that a, he's got an understanding and also that they don't feel like, oh, this is something I can't talk to my coach about. Obviously, it will still feel maybe a little bit awkward, but, you know, I feel quite proud knowing that he wants to 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 learn and kind of know a little bit more about it, which is cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It's so cool. When you start, you know, there's the art of talking about it and and teaching coaches, whether they're female or male, about the cycle, the science behind it, and then, you know, how to talk about it. It's just really getting comfortable with, yeah, just, you know, asking for permission to talk about it with their female athletes. But I think the work that you want to do is so important with the young girls that you know, to try and keep them in their sport, to try and, you know, use it as a tool to keep them at, you know, an elite level as well. Uh, And I think for so long, we thought it was such a burden, uh, you know, that it works works against us, especially when it comes to training or our sport. But really, uh, you know, it's a tool like Fitter Woman teaches you. And I was doing the podcast with Esther from Fitter Woman a couple of months ago, and she was talking about, like, it's not that you don't train or that, you know, it's all the strategies that yes. we weren't taught. Uh, and just being aware of what's happening in the cycle and then knowing what to do to support you so you can yeah. still, you know, train or race or recover well.
1: Yeah. No, that's what I find so fascinating about it. And like, we've got a couple of girls who you won't see for a couple of days because oh, I'm on my period and they just miss training. and looking at the information it's kind of that's the worst thing you could possibly do just you know low level aerobic exercise and it's like you feel so much better and you know and obviously everybody's individual with how they manage it but i think definitely just providing those tools to show that you know being on your period doesn't have to be a scary thing because i used to be terrified if i start my period and i knew i was competing that was it the competition in my head was done because i felt a i was going to be in pain this that, and the other but if I'd had that tool set of being like, well, I can manage it by doing this with my sleep, my recovery, doing this with my eating, I might, you know, I definitely would have given me a better approach to my racing and support. And I might not have jumped on the bandwagon of like, just get on the pill and just stop it and fix it that way. Um, So yeah, so it's certainly been quite interesting looking at the management side of it. And it's quite exciting as well, because it makes you feel like, You can still have control. And I think for us girls, we like being able to be in control of things. And um, it it certainly gives you that power of being like, okay, there is something I can do about it. I don't have to just sit and suffer. I can actually do something to help my body manage it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so that's a big part of your training practice now is understanding your cycle, tracking your cycle, and then learning how to support it and support your training. Can you talk about what, can you talk about your training practice? Like, what does it look like?
1: So each day is a little bit different, but roughly in the water for two hours, twice a day. Um, And then three days a week, I'm in the gym for about another hour and a half. Um, We used to do like, Prep work, uh, sort of mobilising work before and after the sessions, but I'm not able to do that because we're limited to how much time we're allowed on poolside. So I try and do little bits um, back at the flats. I've got one of these like pulse roll um, sort of guns that kind of help massage because uh, obviously being able to see a physio is quite difficult because it's hands on and face to face. So I have to try and be my own physio. And um, yeah, so it's it's about maybe. 20 hours in the pool and then trying to think of land work wise I think it's about maybe 25 to 28 hours of exercise a week um and yeah and just trying to kind of manage the the timing of eating uh when to eat and then walking poppy as well that's kind of I guess sometimes I add that into my training because I guess it is still form of a physical activity but (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's a couple of days where I kind of take pops out for like a long one hour walk so yeah, I've kind of not done a very good job in explaining what my training routine is, but pretty No, much, no, that's,
0: it's great. Yeah. That's like the physical side of it, which obviously is such a big part in the training soup and umbrella is the actual physical practice of it. But like the two other, uh, I guess, key ingredients that are so important is your food and then your recovery. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's what do you do great. for like your recovery practices? I eat heaps
1: Um, (laughs) I love that I love food um so for me breakfast definitely starting the day with a good meal so I start prepping my breakfast the night before um don't know whether it's just me being a scot but I love porridge like for me I always start my day with a bowl of porridge but I do overnight oats um and i have a bowl of oats pour in the milk and then sometimes i might add in a dollop of greek yogurt and then i leave it in the fridge overnight and then in the morning i take out some frozen berries um put it in there mix it up and then i stick it in the microwave for like two and a half minutes and then good to go um and then after training um sometimes if i don't have gym straight off the back of it i'll come back to uh, my flat and then just make myself a breakfast so Um, I've been trying to do a little bit of baking so sometimes homemade bagels with you know some avocado and uh, poached egg on top Uh, I love eggs I do have a bit of an unhealthy obsession with eggs scrambled eggs fried eggs boiled eggs me (laughs) too yeah they're so good Um, so yes I always kind of making sure I've got a good hearty breakfast that way Um, and then I'll probably go and take the dog for the walk uh, try and have like a little bit of a snack. Now snacks are kind of like my downfall because I love just going to the cupboard and just getting like a packet of something or something that's already like pre-made and sometimes looking at the ingredient content's not always good and yeah, it's not cost effective either so I've tried to kind of make my own cereal bars or energy balls um, just to kind of curb the feeling of being hungry Then um, I leave for the swimming pool at about four o'clock. So I tend to have like a later lunch, uh, maybe about half past two. I'll try and have uh, like a lunch. And again, it can be like whole wheat pasta, some rice or quinoa, uh, always with salad, lots of spinach, just trying to keep my iron stores up Um, and making sure as well that it's always with a good source of protein, uh, whether it's chicken or some uh, like, just little bits of beef, maybe from like the the previous night's dinner or mince. Um, And then after training as well, uh, I'll have like maybe a banana or a protein bar. So probably one of the only times I will have like a a bar of some sort, uh, just to kind of get that immediate recovery foods and then um, have like my main meal. And my main meal can kind of vary. If I make it, it tends to be like bolognese or lasagna or chicken and rice. And if my partner makes it, it's kind of like stir fries or it's a little bit more elaborate than what I make. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good in the kitchen. So. um, So, yeah, so I kind of I kind of want to enjoy my food and, you know, be happy eating and um, just kind of eating a little often. Um, apart from breakfast, breakfast kind of is the only time I can eat heaps of breakfast. Uh, but then lunch and dinner, I kind of struggle a little bit. So just having little bits to snack on during the day does help curb. My sort of like hunger cravings that I get, and also make sure that I don't spoil the main meals because there's nothing worse than eating heaps and then realise I can't actually eat my lunch because then I know that'll impact my training, and then the next day as well because I've not got my timings right. So um, it's taken a little bit of a balance, and I'm still learning as well using the app, the different cycles, and focusing mm-hmm. on the different sort of key foods. Um, so like at the minute, I'm going to be start taking on a little bit more cherries just to kind of get the anti-inflammatories and the antioxidants and just to make sure to look after my immune system as well. So, so yeah, and, and sometimes smoothies. And if I really get stuck with what to eat, sometimes a smoothie, uh, I always make far too much in a smoothie. So I've got these little like ice lolly molds and I just pour the excess into that because then it means for dessert, I've, I'm sorted. Um, my partner loves like, he's got quite a sweet tooth and to be fair, I do as well. So I try and curb my sweet tooth by actually having one of these like frozen sort of smoothie ice lollies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he sat there with a tub of ice cream and I've got my little protein lolly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I love that. And what I, what I hear from that is this, this frequency, their frequency of eating, uh, the eating after to recover, and the balancing of meals. And that's, re- that's just such a big piece that I uh, work with with women because yeah. they come from, you know, maybe years or decades of dieting and yeah. this dieting history. And I'll often say, you know, you think of an athlete, go and think of a female athlete. I can guarantee that most of them, you know, they're eating frequently, they're eating their balanced meals. Uh, now, not saying that, you know, there is some that do definitely struggle, With food and especially if they're in a weight-based sport and they can have you know disordered eating practices and stuff but mostly you know most athletes they have to eat a lot because they have to fuel their training and then they have to be able to recover and food is such a powerful thing in that recovery uh practice and so
1: yeah yeah when i was younger i really struggled with it i struggled with eating and for some reason i had this unhealthy fixation of because I was quite a petite athlete I love being like the lightest athlete as well which really didn't help with the volume and the load that I was training and which probably explained why my cycle was all over the place um and I wasn't aware that you know I could have actually put a stop to that if I just sorted out my eating but I just really struggled with food and you know uh and my mom was really good where she would get me to cook food and the smell of the food would make me hungry meaning that I could eat but yeah the meals I was eating were really really small and I was always quite light and petite uh, whereas now I kind of do appreciate the importance of the food and nutrition and making sure you know just not clean eating but just making sure that it's as fresh as possible and the more stuff you make yourself the better you feel because a it's good to know that you can make something that that's edible and you can eat um and also you know what goes in it as well uh and especially when you hit like phase four where you have to try and avoid refined foods and fat you know takeaways and you know that's not to say you can't have them but from a performance perspective you know those things are advised and I just wasn't aware of that from such a young age and I'd always struggled with food um and I guess it's only kind of recently that I've kind of fallen in love with the food and actually enjoy cooking and enjoy uh, eating and kind of being less fussy with it because I was a terrible fuss pot. Like there were certain things that I just would not touch and I was like, "Nap, nap, not eating. I'd rather like, you know, I could go with eating barely anything because it had this certain food on it. So I've kind of, I've kind of come a long way with it. I <laughs> I just can't stop eating. So yeah, could the other way. <laughs> uh,
0: no, and it's very common in females in sport again and something that wasn't spoken about a lot. Uh, You know, when I was in university, we learned about the female triad and that's when it was called that. And now they've re um, you know, they put a lot of work into it. It's now called reds and you know, it is, it's, it's a big issue. It can be, especially when you're a young female in sport is the eating enough to, you know, not only just support you and your body and your cycle, but then eating, Enough for your training, and you 're also at that age where you know you 're a teenager and there 's comparison and there if you are you know in a sport where you 're wearing a swimsuit or a leotard, and yeah there 's a lot of stuff there that again is not spoken about that you know it 's totally it 's totally normal and it 's totally cool that you 're going through it, but like what can we do for female athletes to you know we need to start these conversations about okay you know, the importance of eating enough. Yeah. No, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. We're going to finish with five questions so you can go That's to bed. Awesome. <laughs>
1: Sounds like a plan. Yeah.
0: Okay. So number one is why do you train?
1: Um, I'm going to answer that in two parts because the first one, my initial would be I train because I want to reach my potential. I want to be the best I can possibly can be and try and just be elite in my sport. Like that's one of the reasons why I train. That's why I get up in the morning, but at the same time I train because I love it. I I do love it as well as it's for the competitive side and the elite side. There is that deep rooted love for just getting in that water and just being in my element in it. Um, So yeah.
0: What do you feel when you are like, when you go in the water?
1: Um, I kind of, I used to feel like I was flying. Like I'd imagine the water wasn't there, and I was hovering above the ground, and I was just flying through it, or like a mermaid, um, just kind of like casually just floating through the water. Um, I just feel a, a sense of peace, like a sense of calm. So, all the sort of stresses that you can feel at the start, and as soon as you dive in, it's like a glove you kind of slip into, or something coming off. It kind of gets washed off because you, you. you you kind of have that silence of being in your head, so all the noise and all the buzz that you've got throughout the day just gets quietened, um, and or silence That's probably the better word. Gets silenced, and I, it just lets my imagination just run wild, which um which I always quite enjoyed, especially as a young kid. I always still love playing back movies on my head. Not so good if you're trying to count how many lines you've done. I forever kept losing count, but I just yeah, I just genuinely felt a sense of peace and happiness, just being in the water.
0: Yeah. I get a sense of playfulness when I see, see you and, you know, there's some clips on your Instagram of you being in the water, but there's such a playfulness energy that comes out of it.
1: And I think that's, yeah,
0: that's so important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love to play. We used to play like a game called Sharks. Like still, yeah. if we could play Sharks, we could. Like my dad <laughs> sometimes gets us doing like relays or try and do quirky things like reverse butterfly or just things that just allow you to still have fun. Even at the age of 31, like my dad always says, allow yourself to play because you get your most learning especially in the water environment with play uh, because you feel little things because you work with the water. You don't work against it. It's more than just the hard yards and the miles.
0: Yeah. And that's really important to play, to keep playing. (laughs) Number two, you have a billboard and it's in Times Square and it's going to stay there forever. What does it say
1: on it? Be kind to yourself. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Be kind to yourself.
0: Yeah. Simple, but really powerful. Yep.
1: I uh, think we yeah. need to be reminded of it sometimes because sometimes we can say it but I think if you're able to see it and actually take it in I think it kind of becomes more effective
0: because yeah. we know we
1: need to be kind to ourselves but we, we need reminding sometimes
0: yes with a big billboard <laughs> Yes, <a massive> one.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, number three what do you like that nobody else really likes
1: I love pineapple and pizza <laughs> <laughs> i'm one of the weird ones that likes pineapple on pizza so yeah hey a there's a lot
0: of australians that love pineapple on pizza we have a whole pi- a hawaiian do you have a
1: hawaiian yeah. pizza there yep that yeah. is it's a hawaiian pizza i love mine. <laughs> hawaiian like my first like choice then it's ham and mushroom and then maybe margarita <laughs> uh, yeah yeah okay <laughs> i know it's, it's kind of a controversial topic but that was the only thing i could kind of think of that yeah, the most people I've spoken to, it might just be a British or a Scottish thing, but yeah, the most people I speak to, I tend to get strange looks. Yeah. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, number four. What three things would you like to be remembered for?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, because it's one of those things, like I, the things that I do. I guess I don't do it in order to be remembered by. Um, I, I do it because I want to do them. Um, I guess. <sighs> I was going to say maybe being resilient, but I don't, I don't like that. I kind of feel stubborn is definitely not the right word either. I I am quite stubborn, I guess. Relentless. Um, I am quite a relentless person. Like I will fight. You know the corner of something that I, I kind of agree with or i'll like in training Yeah, you know, as i say i was a, the underdog kind of coming through because i was quite small and unassuming, so i fought my way through and then now i guess i'm at the other end i'm kind of the older swimmer so i feel like i'm fighting to kind of still stay involved and not to be forgotten because you know age is just a number and um so yeah so i definitely want i'd like to think that i'm kind of relentless in my work ethic um, yeah, there, there's a quote, I think, or oh, something
0: that you said was that, like, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the strongest, but I will be the hardest working athlete I can be. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so I guess I kind of, <laughs> that quote in itself, I'd love to be remembered by <laughs> it in that sort of sense. Um, smiley as well. Like, there are days where sometimes, yeah, okay, I'm I'm not always happy, but I'd like to feel like I, I am remembered for being a, a genuine genuinely happy uh happy kind of person um this is actually a really tough one i can't really think of a third one that one to be remembered by i guess loyal um i i kind of feel um you know I, i'm loyal with what i do loyal to the people that i work with um loyal to my family loyal to my fiance as well and loyal to my dog um <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I kind of like to people remember me by being loyal um And I guess I'm going to be really cheeky and kind of add in another one because I've not really fully answered your question, but I'd like to be remembered by being a little bit different, Um, not kind of afraid to step outside the box and kind of be my own person and actually be okay with it.
0: Yeah. And I think that you'll be remembered for helping start this really important conversation around Training with your cycle, uh supporting young females in your sport. I just have this feeling.
1: <laughs> that'll be that's an awesome feeling. Yeah, that'll yeah. be kind of cool. Yeah.
0: Okay, last one. What day are you on?
1: Um well I'm in phase three. So okay. I've got five more days before I hit phase four. So yeah, fatigue's hitting me because my hormones are starting to drop a wee bit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Beautiful Hannah. I want to thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and your learnings, you know, over the past, you know, decade, three decades of (laughs) being in the pool. Um, Yeah. And for getting curious, getting curious about the hard stuff in, in not only your sport, but I think in, you know, females in sport and- you know, asking questions and starting to tell your story about your cycle. And uh yeah, it's it's very powerful. It's powerful for the young females in your sport.
1: Yeah. I like that question. I like that statement, actually curious about the hard stuff. I, I quite like that phrase. I may borrow it if you're okay with that. <laughs> you should take it, take it.
0: Yeah. Like when I, when I think of you and now after connecting, you just, you have this curiosity about you. And I think that kind of happens as well. You know, when you've been in your sport or in your practice for, for a while, yep. you start to think, uh, you know, to get curious. You're learning more about your body. There's, you're trying to still build more trust with it. And like you said before, there's always something that you're still learning even after doing it for so many years so I think to still have that curiosity uh, is really yeah really important so yes you're curious for the for the hard stuff (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for having me beautiful Hannah thank you if you have any questions you can connect with me on instagram at amykatebow I also write a daily blog you can sign up on my website amykatebow.com thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.